everybody! Welcome back to The Other Perspective. Thank you so much for choosing to listen. I'm your podcast host, Fatima, and today my topic is going to be talking about why self-care alone won't cut it, and why we approach self-care the wrong way, and why community care is the way to go. Especially now with the pandemic, we're in a time of extreme isolation, and it's becoming a lot harder and harder to take care of ourselves and have good mental health. So I know for many of you, myself included, it's been really exhausting dealing with the pandemic. And texting or video calling honestly doesn't have the same effect as seeing people in person even. So even if you're an extrovert, it can be pretty exhausting to deal with this. Um, obviously, Zoom fatigue is a thing. It's like from going on Zoom calls for school or work so many hours per day, you just get tired and you don't want to see a Zoom call ever in your life again. Burnout is also really bad. A lot of people are experiencing that. And there was something in, that an article that I read about um, what's called micro lifts. So basically, micro lifts are little things that happen throughout your day and you don't realize that they're happening because they're just so natural. But there's stuff, little things that help lift up your mood. So for example, you're walking to like from class to class if you go to university on campus. When you're walking, you can hear like the birds chirping, you're in nature and it's really nice. And you're not even doing it on purpose to take a walk. It just so happens and it lifts your mood up. For example, if you're feeling a little stressed, so you decide to go to a coffee shop and get some coffee, that's another micro lift. You're just walking across campus and you stumble upon a friend, that's another micro lift. So those types of things just aren't available anymore. Um, that's making it a lot harder to maintain mental health throughout the pandemic. And then obviously sitting down, not having any more exercise, which actually can literally change the makeup of your brain, which is really crazy to think about. It's not just bad for your physical health, it's also really bad for your mental health. And again, like I said, like walking from class to class pre-pandemic really did make a difference for many people. So now we're just sitting all the time and we're not getting as much exercise as we should and that's really harmful for our brains. So actually the human mind and body wasn't made for the way we are today. So our brains didn't evolve as quickly as technology did and neither did our bodies. So like the exponential rate at which technology has been evolving and us having to sit down all day for Zoom classes and stuff, our brains and bodies weren't built for that. Even like with the evolution that's happened, it's not catching up yet to where we are today in terms of technology. Um, there's this really interesting documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, which I believe is in the top 10 in the US as of right now. I definitely recommend watching it to get a bigger understanding of what I'm talking about right now. Our bodies and brains weren't made to sit in one spot and do class all day or sit at a desk. We were literally made to be in nature and to take breaks from working. The 40-hour work week is really long for a lot of people, and we're under extreme stress. The work day is increasingly long. The pandemic has made this even worse, so we're literally just staring at a screen for eight hours now. We're sitting down all the time, and we don't have any social interaction, even though, like us humans, we're social creatures, right? And we're getting no outdoor time. One thing that's been interesting, and I've actually read a ton of articles about this, is how working from home now has blurred the lines between relaxation and working. So usually you're used to going to a workplace and that's your place for work. Then when you come back home, like that's kind of your place to like relax, chill out, like have a good time. But now that you're doing work from home, it's very hard to like find the limit of when you need to stop work and when you need to relax. And now people don't really see home as a place for relaxation anymore. And it's become a place where you just work, kind of like an office, which really sucks. And we've also seen, like I said, increased work hours. 
American adults have on average worked longer since the pandemic has started, which is really crazy. People also from like long ago, and this is um, still a thing in a lot of rural communities around the country and around the world, they used to have a large community and we really don't have that anymore, especially in large cities where everybody is really disconnected. You kind of have maybe like one or two friends you don't really see that often. You just go to work, see your coworkers and come back. And this was even before the pandemic. So obviously everyone knows the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. We don't have that village anymore. There used to be support networks of extended families who were like aunts, uncles, grandparents, and close friends. But now we're literally so disconnected, we don't even know our neighbors. And the amount of harm that's caused is that um, we're literally the loneliest generation. Our generation is more lonely than humans have ever been. And it makes a lot of sense considering like what's gone into making that a thing. In addition to being super lonely, our generation also has the highest rates of mental illness ever recorded. The impact of social media on wellness has been really obvious. When you go on like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and you're just scrolling through, everyone seems happier than you. Everyone's leading a perfect life. Like some people are traveling, other people are succeeding. And this is especially on LinkedIn. You see like other people's accomplishments and you tend to compare yourself with others and you kind of feel like a loser and you feel like your life sucks. And that's not the case actually, because on social media, it's people are just curating an image. So they have an image that they want to show to the public. Obviously they don't show the struggles, but when you're scrolling through, you don't really have that in mind. And so that causes a lot of like sadness and it causes a lot of mental issues and including body image as well. And this is so important to emphasize because on Instagram, everyone's obsessed with looking perfect and you might compare your bodies with other people's bodies and see yourself as less or think that you look ugly. Also with Snapchat filters, making people look different. So that's like a whole nother topic that I could talk about on a different podcast because it's such a large problem. So yeah, even before the pandemic, our generation was still the loneliest and had the worst mental health. As a result of that, people have started to advocate for self-care. However, the problem with the way we see and define self-care today is that it has become increasingly for sale. And instead of this making us happy, it's forced us to need more self-care, which gives more money to companies that advocate for it. So when we think of self-care, you know what image comes to mind, right? It's not just me. I know probably everyone thinks about that. It's kind of just like someone's like having a bubble bath, binge watching Netflix, eating pizza, making a social media post about it, of course, because that's part of the image they want to curate. The problem with that is that self-care should be about preservation, not indulgence. Self-care for preservation looks like learning to say no, setting healthy boundaries, taking a mental health day off from school or work if needed, going out in nature and putting away your phone, and taking a social media break. But the way we've seen that evolve today is that instead of doing all these things that people need to keep going, it's become sort of something for like indulgence where you spend a lot of money on yourself and that ne won't necessarily make you happy. So beauty and wellness brands twisted this type of like self-care and indulgence into something else to make money. So they're always like, come do your nails, spend $500 on online shopping to make yourself happy, buy these candles for your self-care day. And they really emphasize short-term gratification or instant gratification rather than something that will be good for your mind and your body and will help you in the long term. And obviously, we can just go on Instagram and see how influencers benefit from this kind of commercialization of self-care, which really sucks because self-care is supposed to be something that's making us feel better. And again, this is something I can go on and on about, but 
I just want to like say how this type of self-care is actually selfish and might make you feel worse. A lot of the stuff advocated on Twitter for self-care are actually hurting others to benefit yourself, when at the end of the day, helping others is what brings you true happiness. So Twitter is an echo chamber of sorts, where people are like, it's your responsibility to take care of yourself. Like, we all need to fix ourselves alone. And this comes from the work culture of comp competition, not cooperation or collaboration. Something I was very shocked to discover is that many students from other countries see school as an opportunity to cooperate and collaborate with classmates. So they all share homework answers, they help each other out, but in America it's more about who will get the highest grades, and that's probably because of our individualistic culture. Um, and that's something I definitely wish our generation would change. Because of that, self-care requires us to expend emotional energy, which is basically the antithesis of caring for oneself. And Twitter is a very selfish echo chamber. It's kind of like ditch your mom and dad if they're not good for you. And I'm not talking about like abusive parents because that's different. And I completely agree with um, cutting them off. But I'm talking about parents who might cause you a little bit of discomfort or who don't necessarily agree with you on everything, why would you want to cut them off? Like, they took care of you when you were a kid, and as they get older, it's your responsibility to take care of them. Advocating for you to cut off parents is really selfish, and Twitter tends to do this a lot, and these tweets get a lot of retweets, and again, this is something I can go on about, like, all day, but that's not today's topic. It's just something that I thought was important to point out. So that brings me to community care, right? We really do need each other to survive. Humans were never meant to be alone. So the only way to actually truly achieve mental wellness is not to have to go through it all alone, right? When you have pneumonia or cancer, or any other type of physical illness, you never go through it alone. There's always people who are going to help you. I don't understand why it's not the same with mental health. Strong friend networks are essential to mental health, and this has been proven by research. And actually, there was this one interesting article that I read and it was citing Dr. Brian Wall, who was an assistant scientist with the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. He's quoted as saying, and this is an exact quote, we would never ask anybody to deal with other health issues on their own. Let's say you've got a terrible case of pneumonia. There are structures and systems set up to help with these things. Mental health should be no different. And this was during his interview with Mashable, actually. And he emphasized that to maximize wellness, people should receive community care from both the government and from their friend networks. Obviously, not everyone is lucky enough to enjoy the strong circle of friends that Dr. Wall is talking about and that he believes is essential to health. So he says about this, people have been surveyed every several years about how many close friends they have. Increasingly, it's gone down and down. Now the average is less than one. Most people have zero very close friends. That's terrifying. Could you imagine not having any close friends who you could feel like you could call up and talk to? Dr. Wall doesn't blame individuals for their isolation. He says it's a cultural problem and that building friendships takes emotional and sometimes financial resources that a lot of people can't afford to spare. And like I mentioned before, clinical evidence actually shows that having friends improves well-being and longevity. So you're actually going to have a longer life and a healthier life, both physically and mentally, the more closer ties you have with friends. I wouldn't say the more friends you have because... You might have many friends, but not like a close friend. But if you have close friends, then that is a big indicator of health. So Dr. Walls says, if you have the means and the time, finding those communities is something you should prioritize, even though a lot of people don't have the means and the time. This is part of the reason why so many people rely on self-care and part of the problem, obviously. So we tell people, like, 
care for yourself when you're not feeling well. And that basically defeats the whole purpose because when you're not okay, you really don't have the energy to make yourself feel better. And this can lead to you feeling guilt about feeling bad, which is like a really destructive cycle. So like I mentioned, self-care really isn't enough. And actually research shows that people who come from collectivist cultures tend to be happier. When I say community care, I just want to emphasize that it's not the elimination of self-care, it's just one step further. So instead of just showing compassion to yourself, you also show compassion to others. And taking care of yourself also means to take care of the happiness of the community around you. The way we can make this a reality is to stay connected to others, especially during this pandemic. Um, a lot of people behind the screen might seem happy, but they're not okay. So make sure you're reaching out to friends and don't leave them alone. And this goes obviously without saying that they don't have to reach out to you first. Like on Twitter, people are always like, I'm not reaching out if I don't get a text first, but I feel like that's such a bad attitude to have because you really don't know what people are going through and people might not text you first and communicate what's going on with them. And so as a friend, you should be reaching out to your friends to make sure they're okay. I mean, obviously, if you're okay. One tip for how to do this is to reach out and ask specific questions. A lot of time people are like, how are you? And like, obviously, our very intuitive response to that is good even though it might not be the truth um so i would say use the pies method and pies is an acronym which stands for physical intellectual emotional spiritual wellness so you're asking someone on all four of these levels how do you feel for example if someone else is not feeling well or sick or needs to rest offer to grab groceries for them if you're already going like you're going to the grocery store why wouldn't you grab some for your friend so community care is just basically being committed to being there for people and treating the community around you like an extended family, making sure you're intimately connected and performing acts of compassion towards one another. And then we're also talking about interpersonal acts of kindness. So not just on the individual level, but on the group level. One thing that I've seen arise in during the pandemic, obviously, is mutual aid networks, which is great because community care involves mutual aid networks for those that don't have those resources um, support groups for people, community-based nonprofits that are like grassroots and on the ground in communities rather than ones that are like from the top down. And actually, there's a woman named Patricia Omidian. She's an anthropologist and the founding director of Focusing International. And her organization actually provides community wellness services around the world. And it's grounded in community care principles. And it's actually a really powerful form of care in marginalized communities that are more collectivist than individualist. And we actually see this in a lot of marginalized communities around the world. They tend to really emphasize community, whereas countries that are a little bit richer or more industrialized are individualist, like the United States. So actually what she found in certain communities in Afghanistan is that she had to work with groups, not individuals, to reduce levels of domestic violence. And it actually worked. So she was looking at using their collectivist culture to influence lower rates of domestic violence, which is awesome. And when she actually dealt with the violence against women committed by other women, she said she really needed to work at the family level to change those levels of domestic violence. That was a bit of a tangent, but returning to my main point, this really isn't a one-sided thing. Receiving community care from others is going to make you feel better as well. Obviously, this is another conversation for a different day. I'm not even going to go into the fact that a lot of people of color and minorities face microaggressions and that's something they can't control from others. So if we're grounded and we're committed to community care, we're going to make sure that these microaggressions don't happen and that daily discrimination is not faced by them alone and we can be good allies and good support groups to marginalized people. 
And that's something we can't really solve by ourselves. I really hope you guys enjoyed listening to this and I hope you take away something really important and try to implement it in your daily life as much as you can. I know it's a bit difficult, especially with the isolation we've been feeling during the pandemic, but if you can take just one principle away from this podcast and apply it to those around you and try to be there for others, that's just one step towards making a better world. Thank you so much for listening to The Other Perspective and I hope to hear from you soon.